Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence. Talking about book two, chapter 16, Roll Call, says Brett Peterson. I hope I'm not out of place to post this since I'm not a mod or anything, but I've noticed that the discussions have only... Uh, that the discussions only have a few posts lately. I'm wondering if everyone has dropped out or just didn't like participating in the discussion. So I thought if everyone is still trying to keep up with us, we'll post here, give us a better idea how many people are still on this journey. Well, the uh, that question has 86 responses, 85 responses, sorry. Very impressive that uh, 85% people responded. A lot of people saying they're lurking, uh, reading and lurking. Very cool. But a lot of people saying that they don't bother to post anything. Well, feel free, you know, get involved in the daily discussions. This is normal though, you know, at the first week of the the year, there's a hundred people commenting on chapter one, you know. By month two, the conversation will dwindle down. It'll ramp up and down though. Don't worry about that. But there you go through phases where it kind of dwindles. And especially, you know, this last, this book, the first half of book two is definitely a slower part of the book. Uh, Warren Kovaffi says the last few, oh, hang on. Uh, These are the discussion prompts. Why? Do you think Andre is so drawn to the once bootless Captain Tushin? In Chapter 15, Tushin was described as unmilitary, slightly comical, and extremely attractive. This chapter further cements Andre's admiration for the pleasant philosophizing captain. Does his appreciation for Tushin add to or change your understanding of Andre's character? Unless Tolstoy is faking us out and planning to tell us the story of this battle again in understated flashback, it looks like this is it. We're going to see some real action. Any last-minute predictions? Good question. These questions, as per usual, are courtesy of user 7 of 9. Warren Kavafi Fifi Fifi said this. The last few chapters have ended like an episode of Lost. This might have been the most tempted I've been to read ahead. My initial hunch is that maybe Tushin somewhat reminds Andre of Pierre. He seems like a quasi-intelligent, goofy philosopher... Similar to the new Count Bezikov, perhaps our stern and cold Andre has a soft spot for would-be intellectuals. Number two, my guess is that this battle doesn't go well for our Russian friends, given that the not-so-subtle foreshadowing Tolstoy has used over the past few chapters. Andre's strategizing hints at retreating into the ravine, so I think that might be a hint of what's to come. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Pierre uh, and the new Count Bezikov, because I started right uh translating chapter three today moved on to uh no sorry not chapter three book three um and i don't uh, i don't think this is a spoiler to say but the start of book three at least chapter one um we do go back over to the society side of the fence you know book two is firmly in the war um sphere book one is firmly society and then book three I can't really remember exactly what happens in book three, but I can tell you this, it starts in society again. So if you are missing the society chapters, we're only five chapters away from going back to Russia. Little Sebastian said this, as I was reading, I was thinking that maybe Tolstoy is introducing us to Tushin 
in this way because he's not going to survive the battle and it will allow us to experience the death of a familiar character. I think Andre will be with us for a while longer. I can't see him going out too soon after we've spent all this time with him. The only character we know that at the scene so far is Dolokhov, and he's a bit of a wild card. I could see him going either way in the oncoming battle, but I think he'll do okay. Yeah, it's interesting to try to guess, isn't it? Who, Who's being set up to die? Because authors do that, don't they? They don't just kill faceless people. They'll introduce a cast of characters, try to get you to like them, and then they'll pick some of them off. Um, by the way, today's episode is brought to you by the beverage, water. A big thing of water that I am crushing because it's a bloody hot night over here in Australia. My phone's going ding. That's odd. Odd because it's so damn late at night. Um. Oh, okay. Someone published a podcast and my podcast app was telling me that. Sorry, that's terrible podcasting on my part. I was going to say something else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bad timing. But I was going to also say, not only is this episode brought to you by a big glass of water, it's also brought to you by Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast at Patreon, do so at patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. Brett Peterson said this, I have no idea why Andre is drawn to Tushin. Perhaps he reminds him of his old friend Pierre. Both Tushin and Pierre are described as sort of out of place, but intelligent and good at conversation. As for question two, we are almost to the point I dropped out last year, so I don't want to spoil anything with a prediction. Well, Brett, don't drop out this year. Let's do it. Let's let's finish this book, you know? New Year's resolutions and such. Prince Kane said this. So far I have noticed that Andre seems to appreciate intelligent individuals who know their duty but aren't totally absorbed in themselves or consumed by the rules of society, as was shown with Pavlovna's reception, where Andre was the only one who really seemed to take Pierre seriously. I would say, I think you're about right, but I don't know how much on, uh, Pierre knows his duty. Uh, I think he's got a good soul, but does he, he doesn't seem to know what he wants to do with his life just yet. Um, but I think you're onto something anyway. I, I think I think um, this Tushin character might have a similar temperament to Andre. Oh, sorry, to Pierre, and that's what Andre likes about him. I never thought of it like that, but I could see that being the case. Uh, considering he himself follows those rules for the most part, even though he keeps his contempt for it all hidden and rarely shows it, as he did once to Pierre, I'd say he's recognizing individuals who are basically social outcasts and maybe even envying them. Pierre, the man who did not know how to live, and Tushin, the unmilitary and slightly comical man, might just represent the freedom Andre wants. Very cool. Very interesting take. I like that. All right. We're going to read chapter uh, 17. God, we are flying through this book. Now, I can't remember if it was 17. Um, no, it's not 17. I think it's 19. 19. Chapter 19 might just be my favorite chapter in this book. I'm really excited to read it to you guys. But here we go. Chapter 17 goes like this. Prince Andre got on his horse, but stayed there by the cannons, looking out at the smoke rising from the cannon that had sent the ball their way. He quickly scanned the wide space, but only saw that the French, who had up until now been motionless, were now kind of swaying, and that there really was a cannon to their left. The smoke above it hadn't dispersed yet. Two Frenchies on horses, probably adjutants, 
were galloping over the hill. A small but clearly visible column of enemy troops was moving down the hill, most likely going to strengthen their front line. The smoke of the first shot was still lingering when another white puff of smoke appeared, followed by the booming report. The battle was on. Prince Andre turned his horse and fanged it back to Prince Bagration in Grunth. He heard the cannons going berserk behind him. Evidently, ours had started firing back. From the bottom of the slope, were, where opposing troops had joked together, came the sounds of musketry. Bonaparte's angry letter to Murat had just arrived at full gallop, care of Le Maroy, and Murat, feeling embarrassed and shamed, had immediately moved his forces in to attack the Russians in the centre and outflank them on both sides, hoping to atone for his fuck-up by smashing them into oblivion before Bonaparte's arrival that evening. Now it's on. Here we go, thought Prince Andre, feeling his heart beating madly. The only question now is where will my Toulon moment be? He passed back through the companies that had been scoffing porridge and slamming vodka just 15 minutes earlier, but now he saw soldiers hurrying to form ranks and get their muskets ready, and they all had that same look of eagerness on their faces as as he did. Here we fucking go, this is going to suck so bad, I can't wait, it's horrible, I love it, was what every face seemed to say, soldiers and officers alike. Before he had reached the trenches, which were still being dug out, he saw mounted men coming his way in the light. <clears throat> Excuse me. Coming his way in the light, dull autumn evening. Light, dull, light, dull. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Coming his way in the light of. Okay, what am I saying here? Coming his way in the dull light of the autumn evening. That'll work. In front was Prince Bagration, wearing a Cossack cloak and lambskin cap and riding a white horse. Prince Andre stopped and waited for him to ride up. Prince Bagration reined in his horse and gave Prince Andre a nod of recognition. He continued looking ahead into the distance while Prince Andre filled him in on what he'd seen. The same vibe, here we fucking go, was seen even on Prince Bagration's hard brown face with his half-closed, sleepy eyes. Prince Andre looked with anxious curiosity at the inexpressive face and wished he could figure out what, if anything, was going through this man's head. Is there anything at all going on in that skull? Prince Andre asked himself as he looked. Prince Bagrations bent his head to show he agreed with what Prince Andre had told him and said, very good, in a tone that seemed to imply that everything that was happening was just as he expected. Prince Andre, out of breath from having fanged it so hard, spoke quickly, uh, spoke quickly. Prince Bagration uttered his words slowly with his oriental accent, as if to display how little need there was to rush. Nevertheless, he set off at a speedy trot in the direction of Tushin's battery. Prince Andre followed with the sweet, with the sweet, with the sweet. Sorry, I can't speak. <laughs> Prince Andre followed with the sweet. Riding behind Prince Bagration were an officer of the suite, Bagration's personal adjutant, Zerkov, and orderly officer, the staff officer on duty, riding a gorgeous bobtail horse, uh, and a civilian, an accountant who had asked permission to tag along to the battle out of curiosity. The accountant, a stout, fat-faced man, looked around him with a naive smile, stoked 
to be among the hussars, cossacks and adjutants in his camelet coat as he jolted on his horse with a convoy officer's saddle. Reckons he wants to see some fighting, said Zerkov to Bolkonsky, pointing to the accountant, but he's already got the runs. Oh, piss off, said the accountant, with a massive and slightly sly smile, as if he was chuffed to be the butt of Zerkov's joke. He seemed happy playing the role of the village idiot, despite not being much of an idiot, if, he meant, if it meant he could be one of the boys. It's pretty darn strange, Monsieur Prince, said the staff officer, remembering that in France there was a particular way of addressing a prince, but completely fucking it up. By now they were approaching Tushin's battery, and a cannonball smashed into the ground in front of them. What was that that fell? Asked the accountant with a naive smile. French pancakes, answered Zerkov. So that's what they're firing at us, asked the accountant. How scary. He seemed real pleased with himself for this comment. He had hardly finished his awesome comment when another violent whistling sound interrupted, growing louder and ending suddenly with a dull, wet thud. There was a clumsy, flopping sound as a Cossack, riding right behind the accountant, crashed to the earth with his horse. Zerkov and the staff officer lowered themselves against their saddles and turned their horses away. The accountant stopped for a look, moving up to the Cossack with morbid curiosity. The Cossack was very dead, but the horse was alive, struggling on him. Prince Bagration screwed up his eyes, looked around, and once he found the cause of the commotion, turned away coldly as if to say, Meh, not worth my time. He reined in his horse skillfully and carefully, then bent down and untangled his sword, which had got caught in his cloak. It was an old-fashioned sabre, a kind that was long out of general use. Prince Andrei recalled the story of this sabre. It was given to Bagration in Italy by Suvorov, and remembering this now gave Prince Andrei a little dose of the warm and fuzzies. They had reached the battery where Prince Andrei had examined the battlefield earlier. Whose company? Prince Bagration asked an artilleryman standing beside a wagon full of cannon ammo. The subtext of this question, whose company, was loud and clear. He was really asking, you're not panicking, are you? And the artillery understood that. Captain Tushins, Your Excellency, shouted the red-haired, freckled lad in a cheerful voice, standing to attention. Good, good, muttered Bagration, as if he were figuring it all out, and he rode past the limbers to the farthest cannon. It erupted as he approached, ringing out and deafening his, him, sorry, deafening him and his suite. And in the smoke that was suddenly everywhere, there were gunners straining against the cannon to roll it back into place. A huge broad-shouldered gunner with a mop, number one, sprang to the meal, sprang to the wheel, while number two pushed a charge into the cannon's mouth with a trembling hand. The short, round-shouldered Captain Tushin stumbled over the tail of the cannon, moved forward, and without noticing the general, looked out over the field with his small hand shading his eyes. Raise it two lines higher and we should be spot on, he cried in a pipsqueak voice, trying to add a little bravado to it but not quite pulling it off on account of being a little dweebazoid biatch. Number two, he squeaked, smash them, Medvedev. Bagration called out to him and Tushin, raising his hand in a three-fingered salute that was awkward and unconfident and came across more like a priest's blessing than a military salute, approached the general. Tushin's battery was intended to blow the shit out of the valley, but instead he was firing incendiary balls at the village of Schongraburn, visible just opposite, 
in front of which there was a ton of French pricks advancing. No one had given Tushin orders to do this, or any orders at all, but after consulting his sergeant's major, Zakhashenko, a man he respected a lot, he had decided that the best course of action was to set the village ablaze. Excellent, said Bagration in reply to Tushin's report, and he started to methodically examine the entire battlefield set out before him. The French had gotten closest to the Russians on our right. From below the hill on which the Kiev regiment stood, in the hollow with the creek running through it, the sickening crackle of muskets could be heard, and way further right beyond the dragoons, the officer of the suite pointed out to the back to Bagration, a French column that was going way wide and outflanking us. To the left, the horizon was obscured by the distant wood. Prince Bagration ordered two battalions from the centre to be moved to the right flank as reinforcements. The officer of the suite dared to make a comment to the prince that if those two battalions left, the guns would no longer have any support. Prince Bagration turned to the officer and stared at him silently with his dopey eyes. Prince Andre thought that the officer's comment was fair enough and that there was no real argument against it, but just then an adjutant felloped, felloped? <laughs> galloped up with a message from the commander of the regiment in the hollow and some shitty news. There were a fuckton of French coming down upon them and his regiment was in a shambles and retreating up to the Kiev Grenadiers. Prince Bagration bowed his head to show he approved. He rode off at a walking pace to the right and sent an adjutant to the dragoons with orders to attack the French. But this adjutant returned half an hour later with news that the commander of the dragoons had already bailed, retreating beyond the dip, because they'd been fired upon heavily and he was losing men for no purpose, and so he'd made a quick decision to chuck some sharpshooters into the wood. Excellent, said Bagration. As he was riding away from the cannon battery, shots were also heard coming from the woods on the far left, but because it was too far from the left flank for him to get there himself, he sent Zerkov to tell the senior general, the same fellow who had paraded his troops for Big Dog Kutuzov, to Deep Sniff in Brunel, to pull his troops back beyond the ravine as fast as possible, because the right flank was not going to be able to hold the enemy back for long. Tushin and his battery and the battalion that were supposed to be covering him, were completely forgotten. Prince Andre listened closely to Bagration's conversations with the commanding officers and the orders he was giving them, and to his surprise noticed that Bagration wasn't really giving any specific orders at all, but was instead just trying to make it seem like every action that was being carried out by anyone, whether by necessity, chance, accident, or by the instructions of their commanders, was all done in direct accordance with his commands, or at the very least his intentions. However, Prince Andre noticed that despite the fact that shit was hitting the fan every which way, and everyone's actions were practically random and in no way correlating to the commander's will, Bagration's general vibe that all was going to plan was incredibly valuable. Commanders would approach him looking shit scared and quickly become calm in his presence. Soldiers and officers made an effort to seem cheerful when they greeted him and became even more cheerful in his presence eager to display their courage before him. Alright, there we go. Things are happening. How's that bit where the guy gets walloped by the cannon? That's pretty gory. Damn. Alright, thanks for listening, guys.
Uh, I'll see you tomorrow.